welcome back to another episode of La Ventanita Podcast. Jeremy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, doing well. How are you doing? Good. What have you been up to since uh, since our last recording? What have I been up to? Man, I've been doing quite a bit of traveling recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Your itinerant ministry? Is this, <laughs> this is where we're starting? <laughs> kind of, kind of. But... Yeah, just traveling. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm super special, but <laughs> just like visiting, supporting churches, people who are supporting the the work, that kind of thing. So it's been good, man. That's great, man. That's great to hear. Uh, on this episode, we have another very special guest with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, would you help me welcome our president, Dr. Emmanuel Padilla. Not Dr. Just yet, but I appreciate the prophetic word. <laughs> I was speaking that over your life. Yes, yes. <laughs> I receive it. I receive it. Yes. Man. So, uh, for most of you who don't know, um, should I say Emmanuel, Ricky? Doesn't matter. Either one, either one. Emmanuel okay. Enrique, Emmanuel Ricky, either way. Emmanuel Enrique is the <laughs> founder go. and president of world outspoken man uh tell us what what are you what are you up to what are you doing uh, tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so as you said thanks for having me on the show uh i am serving as president of world outspoken helped to start world outspoken way back in 2016 and have been doing the work ever since uh we we are an organization a nonprofit that helps to train churches that are dealing with cultural change we say mestizos church mestizo churches churches that are in the in between and when we say that they're dealing with cultural change we usually mean migrant churches right mm-hmm. uh churches that were started by our folks gente latina uh coreanos filipinos uh romanians you know you name it there are plenty of romanian puerto rican dominican etc churches that were started by people who were believers and pastors in their home countries and came <clears> here and launched churches in the U.S. Well, those churches have grown, uh, they've aged, and now they're at a point where the leadership that's taking on the leadership of the church were born here. And they mm. probably don't speak the language of the original congregation. They probably think differently. They probably behave differently in terms of their cultural makeup. And that's caused quite a bit of conflict. And so World Outspoken is looking to support churches as they navigate those changes, deal with the realities of of a transforming congregation and then transforming context around them. Mm. And well, we appreciate uh, your leadership. We appreciate your heart for for the church, um, for the, for the world. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, today on this episode, uh, if you've noticed in our title, we're going to be talking about. Vico C is starting a church. Now, mm. I want to open this up for both of you. Uh, let's say you encounter a guy like me, ignorant of who Vico C is, <laughs> no idea, have never heard his name before. Uh, can you give us a, a brief bio of who is Vico C? Man. Yeah, there, there's ahead, so Jeremy. much to say. There's so much to say. <laughs> Yeah. So, so by the way, me, me, and me and Ricky, we 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 might geek out on this episode uh, because of the the influence. Yeah. So, so Rico C, uh, he he is considered a philosopher, like yeah. that's that's the name, the philosopher of rap. He's a he's a rapper from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. who was especially big um, in the '90s into the 2000s. 
in many ways, I, I even want to say, Ricky, you could correct me if I'm wrong. He's he's almost like the godfather of Spanish rap. Not, not almost. He he is. He uh, is. Right? Yeah. He he. Uh, so Vico C moved to New York City in the '80s. Um, yeah. Early '80s, he moved to New York City. A lot a lot of Puerto Ricans have been doing that since the 1950s. Operation Bootstrap has been sending Puerto Ricans to the East Coast for a long time, especially in New York. And so he moved to New York for a little while and encountered hip hop in New York. Uh, now, it's worth noting that from the origins of hip hop, there have been Latinos. As yeah. early as hip hop mm -hmm. exists, there have been uh, Puerto Rican beatboxers and dancers and everything else. That, that we've been a part of the movement from the beginning. And uh, so he encounters hip hop in New York. He comes back, he moves back to Puerto Rico after some years. And uh, early in his return to Puerto Rico, he encounters a bunch of Puerto Ricans doing like ciphers, but they're rapping in English. Mm. And and so they're like showing out in front of all these Puerto Ricans that they a are doing something in English and b that they're doing this new genre of music called hip hop. Well, Vico C, it dawned on him. Well, wait a minute, we could do this in Spanish. There's no reason it has to be done in English, right? And uh, there's a great documentary, or not a documentary. There's a great movie that was made of Vico C's life where they actually show this moment where he walks up onto a cipher and for the first time ever, first time ever. Someone raps in Spanish. It's Vico C, and everyone. Is, it, remember that that scene in that Tropic Thunder movie where they dunk the ball, and everyone's like, "Foul, technical." <laughs> they, they just don't know what to do. It's a similar thing, right? This dude raps in Spanish, and for a second, no one knows how to respond, and then it's it's chaos. Like everyone's like, "This is what we needed. This is what we were looking wow. for." Right. So, in terms of Spanish hip hop, he he is the. It's it's pretty non-debated, right? That he is the founder of of Spanish language hip hop, and and he was a believer, which is really interesting because although he was a believer, even people who don't make Christian musica urbana, like they consider him like the Nas, maybe right? Am I, am I wrong in saying yeah. that, Ricky? They consider no, him like the Nas of of la musica urbana. Hmm. So, so, so really, really huge. It's somebody that I grew up listening to since I was a kid. Um, was unashamed about his faith, um, but man, there, there's so much to be said about about him. So, yeah, that's who Vico C is. Just that, or at least that's a snapshot. There's more to say, but that that's a snapshot. Uh huh. Man, well, I mean, I appreciate you guys sharing that because um, that's it's it's helpful in framing our conversation today as we talk about hip-hop and church planting. Um, I do want to lean into that a little bit more um, as we transition into our first segment of the show, La Plena, uh, where we, you know, it's it's a phrase, your Ecuadorian phrase. Yes, where, sir. Uh, it's like, for real? Um, so I do want to unpack that a little bit more of, of Vico C um, leaving his footprint as the godfather of in of uh, Spanish hip hop, um, I, I'm, I, let's just say hip hop. We got to give him his flowers. Okay. Yes. not just Spanish hip hop. Let's let's hip -hop. say hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Thank you for correcting me. No, no, Thank I wasn't you. trying to correct you. I just wanted to give <laughs> him his flowers. <laughs> um, I mean, you guys know significantly more about his impact and his influence. But what was it about? hip-hop culture that 
drew him in and felt like this is where he belonged? I think for me, one is is the fact that he the way he rapped was in Spanish. And for many of those who don't know, Spanish was actually my first language, although I was born in the United States. Uh, so... So the fact that he he rapped in Spanish, but the way that he rapped in Spanish was just as good as rappers that I heard in English was like huge for me and resonated with me. Like the way he uses his metaphors, his wordplay. I mean, all of that. Uh, he, he even sang before Drake was even thought of. You know, like, man, the, the way he put that all together was really, really dope. Yeah, I think what's interesting about Vico C and, and Spanish hip hop in general is that right out of the gate, there's a there's a connection to spirituality, right? Uh, Vico C's relationship with the church is is not simple. We we should say that, right? He was a believer, but he was a rapper. Not only was he a rapper, but uh, after a after a car accident in the Dominican Republic, he ended up. Uh, becoming an addict um, they they gave him they gave him prescription morphine I think and mm-hmm. they gave him more than they should have and sent him home this is the 90s people didn't know better yet yeah uh, they sent him home with with the drugs not realizing what that what that could do and so his his relationship with the church is not is not simple because because uh, a he was doing a genre of music that in, in Puerto Rico would would soon um, politicians would try to ban ban it pretty soon wow and so um yeah so he, he he dealt with he was a kind of political symbol he was a kind of symbol of of street faith right and that that drug vice i think also plays a role in the ways that it's it's perceived in the 90s especially in puerto rico there were huge huge ministries separate from the church but still christian ministries that were mm-hmm. all about addressing the issue of of um of drugs in our communities. And so the fact that this man openly told his stories, there's that song. Um, there's a song called Yo Estuve Dando Te Vida, I've Been Giving You Life. It's a, it's a song that's hard to listen to because it's it's him retelling the story of the time that he overdosed before going up on stage and trying to perform at a concert and, mm. and passing out, almost dying. And his father has to come backstage, get him, and it's his dad who's like holding him and praying. But... He in the song is saying, "Yeah, my my earthly father is is here praying, but it's 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 the heavenly father who's keeping me alive because I should have died right there on that stage." Yeah. And so stuff like that, um, I think, makes the the relationship between it starts to to forge the relationship between hip hop, um, ministries that deal with drugs and violence, etc., and the church. Mm-hmm. Man, I want to put a pin on that. Because uh, I think it's super helpful, especially in framing our conversation moving forward. Um, Matt, you guys mentioned that. I mean, he started up in the 90s. It seems like the 90s, early 2000s. That was like, well, the 80s and 90s. That was the era of hip hop. Golden That's- era. <laughs> and so now we're we're here, crazy, in 2020s, um, still feeling the effects um that are that are that have been left from the 90s and we see uh different rappers and artists coming up um so k 
Can you talk a little bit about the impact of hip-hop culture or musica urbana? I think it's worth saying that hip-hop is struggle music, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's music made from the struggle. And so, I think it, part of the reason it resonates is exactly that, that it uh, it speaks to the the lived experience of the struggle for for latinos for black communities for everyone really that's why that's why it works globally right it's a it's the language of struggle in many ways and so yeah. i think it works that way across the globe because of that right. and yeah. i would even say many times in, in seminaries universities uh we we dissect hip-hop in order to reach hip-hop when i think we need to make a shift I'm not. I'm. I'm not an academic or anything. This is for Ricky. You could. You could take this one <laughs> if if you think it's worthy to to take it to the academy. But I don't think we need to dissect hip hop in order to reach hip hop as much mm. as we need to learn how hip hop is affecting not just <laughs> hip hoppers and people who make it, but people who consume it, which is a large base. Hip hop is the medium, probably the most influential medium. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Cosign, yeah, I got, I got nothing to add. <laughs> so uh, when Ricky drops the book, just remember you heard it first on La Ventanita <laughs> podcast. Man, um, by the way, before before we move on yeah, too quickly yeah, yeah. from that, um, as we think about hip hop's influence on our communities. It was so influential. I think I mentioned this earlier that politicians on the island of Puerto Rico tried to ban musica urbana, specifically reggaeton. There were these huge mm. reggaeton parties that were happening in in the projects, um, los caserillos in Puerto Rico. People were twerking their behinds off, perriando toqueda, <laughs> and the politicians thought this needs to stop. And uh, and the church, the church had to make a kind of decision there. The church had to decide where it was going to land on this. If it was going to affirm the political understanding of um, Spanish language hip hop, reggaeton, um, you know, all these different genres that were po uh, popping up in in the different caserillos, or if they were going to affirm the the language itself, the language of struggle. You can imagine most mm -hmm. churches who who are wrapped up in a kind of respectability politics, right? We have to look good in front of the the U.S. Americans. We have to look good in front of the white folk. Most of them leaned on the kind of political response to demonize some of hip hop, and so it took a while for the church to to make sense of its relationship to hip hop. And there's still some Spanish Spanish language migrant churches. There's still some Pentecostal churches out there that want mm -hmm. nothing to do with this genre. I grew mm -hmm. up in one of those. I'll never forget there was a pastor, my, my pastor as a kid, when I started getting involved in, in the worlds of hip hop, he said, esa musica no es de Dios, that, mu that music is not a God, mm -hmm. but we make exception because we know you. <laughs> so it was okay <laughs> that I was doing hip hop, but the genre was not okay. Wow. Wow. Man, that was completely different from my experience, actually. When I, when I was growing up and um, my church was here, um, Actually, yeah, in, in, in the area where I'm at now, I remember, uh, man, like it was actually something that was used for things like outreach. Um, mm. if, if we were ministering to the least of these, man, you know, that we, we just knew we had a show, you know, that was, that was just kind of the way it worked. But it, it, it's funny to your point, Ricky, that many times when we were introduced, the, the pastor was like, 
he would always start with like a, a biblical example of a prophetic voice. Mm. <laughs> you know, he'd be like, you know, en los tiempos del, del Antiguo Testamento, había profetas como Ezequiel. Estos raperos son jóvenes, pero son los nuevos Ezequieles de nuestro día. It was like they, they had to kind of... <laughs> they had to hype it up. They had to justify it. <laughs> they had to justify it before bringing us on, you know? Telling just, you, man. Just in case, That's real. Just in case they, they got backlash later. But That's Ricky, real. Ricky, are you going to spit something for us? Nah, I don't got in it no more, man. The, oh, okay, okay. The, other, the other day, I tried to rap one of my own songs. One of my own songs. I was trying to trying to show out in front of my wife, and I almost ran out of breath mid-verse, yo. Uh, I was like, I can't, I can't do this no more. Yeah, get back in shape. Yeah, yo, for real. The lungs don't got it no more. <laughs> Man, that actually, that helps segue us into uh, talking about contextualization. I know both of you have some experience with this, um, especially in the area of study um, in the academics. Uh, can you tell us a little bit why contextualization is necessary, um, especially in this marriage with hip hop and church planting or church ministry? Yeah, so, so contextualization um, is all about communication. Mm -hmm. ultimately and and i actually like this definition i'm going to read it from it's a it's a practitioner um church planter pastor his name is the hadi lewis i love his definition he says contextualization is simply communicating in a way that the receiver could understand the message in his or her heart language while maintaining the integrity of the content so so essentially contextualization has to do with knowing how to communicate to a people group um, without losing the authenticity of whatever that message is. And for us, when we think about contextualizing the gospel, uh, we're talking about keeping the integrity of the message, yet making it palatable for those people who uh, we're, we're trying to reach. And in this case, for me, um, it's for the people who live um, on the south end, south side <clears throat> of West Palm Beach, which are mm -hmm. heavily influenced, many, um, especially especially uh, young adults, heavily influenced by by hip hop culture. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add, I, I love that definition. I mentioned earlier that hip hop is its own language. It's the language of of struggle, right? And so, mm -hmm. if we are going to contextualize to people in the struggle, whatever that might mean, um, I do think that hip hop needs to be at least one of the languages that we speak, at least one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll add in terms of context, I've, I've said all sorts of things already that hint to the ways that I think about ministry and how we approach things. I've brought up history, right? When I said Operation Bootstrap sent a bunch of Puerto Ricans to New York, uh, I like to know how did we get here and why are we here, right? And I like to know the political influences. I like to know the cultural influences. I like to know if there's a dynamic, right? Did, did, Titi, did Titi Marisol get here first and then decide everyone needed to follow her or did something else happen, right? Um, I, I, yeah, I like to know the figures involved, right? So just as an example, I brought up the thing about, um, about the ministries to people who were addicts, right? People who were struggling with, with drug, drug use. Uh, things that I like to do is I, I like to get a book and read on specifically those ministries and where, where they started and why they exist. There's a great book called Addicted to Christ, Remaking Men in Puerto Rican Pentecostal Drug Ministries. Mm. It's super specific sociology. 
but it's super helpful to understanding yo this was a part of the formation of my experience as a puerto rican in central florida you couldn't go to the grocery store without encountering one of the brothers from one of these ministries selling you a flan right they were they were always out there selling flan right and so this this is a part of the the culture of the neighborhood you knew these ministries existed and they intersected with the ways that hip-hop shaped the shaped the world around us and so I try to have as thick a thick an understanding of the community politically, socially, et cetera, et cetera. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of good contextualization. Right. Man. And I think we stand on good biblical ground too. Um, I think contextualization is something that we see especially present in the book of Acts as the early church is interacting with uh, non-Jewish people, um, engaging with their culture, um, and, and finding those avenues of bridging gospel conversations, talking about Jesus Christ. Um, so I appreciate both of you sharing that. Uh, I do want to lean in a little bit more on the topic of hip-hop uh, before we move on. Um, Ricky, you taught, can you remind us again, what was the class that you taught at Moody before um, transitioning into uh your your phd work so i taught a few i was a faculty member at moody for four years um Mm -hmm. so i taught mostly courses i I was a theology professor most of the courses i i taught were about the relationship between theology and culture culture in the broadest sense Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes that dealt with issues of ethnicity and race sometimes it dealt with cultural productions right things like the production of hip-hop and what that means and so it was always fun to have students trying to think through to Jeremy's point, dissecting and thinking through hip hop, but but as a language, right? Trying to better understand what this means and what people are actually saying. That segues us into Ivos, uh, Salvadorian saying from Jeremy's other half, uh, where they say, and you. And so this is where we, after everything that we've talked about, how do you process through some of those things? So um, share, can you share a little bit of how Vico C was influential to you. I know you touched a little bit on it at the beginning, but we'd love to unpack that a little bit more. Who is Vico C to you, Jeremy Barahona, the bishop, <laughs> West Palm Beach, church planting? <laughs> I don't know about bishop, but <laughs> to, to, to Ricky's point, he, he, Ricky, you just said that that it might be uh, both spectrums where hip-hop not only shapes a community, but also tells about the community. I think that's what Ricky, I mean, what Vico, um, Vico has has done for me personally as a as a, as a pastor. Um, you know, when I was when I was younger in, in in Bible college, I remember just telling myself and telling other people like, "Man, I I wasn't exposed to quote unquote solid theologians. Mm. Like, I that that just wasn't me." Um, when I was comparing the theologians I was reading in Bible college um, to the ones I grew up in. But then I came to a realization, I don't know when, um, but some some few years into um, my academic studies, I realized that I was shaped theologically by Vico C more than anyone else. And I believe that he is a theologian. And he 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 had a way of effusing evangelism, this bold evangelistic zeal uh, for Jesus, social action, and testimony together in song, 
all mm-hmm. rooted in the Bible. Uh, so, so because I listened to Vico so much, for me, that was formative, not only in the way that I did ministry, but also in the way that I thought about God and the way I thought about society and in the way that, that I want to kind of merge those things coming from a biblical worldview now in my in my ministry life. So that's the impact that Vico C has had on me and continues to have still to this day. Mm-hmm. I had the privilege of seeing Vico C in concert uh, a little later. And I mean, he was basically at the point of retirement by the time I saw him, but it was still cool to see him do all his classics. Mm. Um, I bring that up because one of the things that Vico C and, and hip hop in general, I think has yielded to the church is a kind of honesty mm-hmm. about, about vice, about sin, about struggle in the broadest sense. Um, I'll never forget that time I saw Vico C live, he talked about his addiction. He talked about the times he had relapsed, the times he had recovered. He asked the audience for prayer for crying out loud, right? Like he asked the audience wow. to be with him in that. Um, and I remember thinking, this is wild to me, right? That this dude's not up here telling a victory story. He's telling a story of God's work in his life and admitting that that work still requires continued support from the community. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that Vico C yields is a, is a kind of transparency about the ways in which the gospel does save and we continue to struggle then with the returning effects of life's vices. And so, yeah, I think there's something theologically rich there, right? That the, the Lord's grace is immensely visible, even, I mean, even in a life marked by vice. Mm-hmm. Even in a life marked by, by vice. And so... I think yeah. that that's one of the things that he yields. And then the other thing that, I, that I'll say about Vico C in particular to, to Jeremy's point, he was political out of the gate. Before Residente, before some of these other guys who were super yeah. political, there was Vico C. And he would come at politicians. He would come at capitalistic, you know, big business, right? The pharmaceutical companies. He'd come at all these folks for the, the ways in Jesus. which... Yeah, right, right. And then Jesus for the no ways lie. in which they were, yeah. yeah, the ways in which they were poisoned in the community. And I think, again, that gives a kind of paradigm of what it means to be a storyteller, a voice, if it were, as it were, for the people in which um, you're representing. And, and those two things, to me, stand out as major lessons that we can kind of gain from hip hop in general. And from Vico C in specific. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's, that's really important to say, especially going back to to that, that aspect of, of him uh, being vulnerable and being honest about his struggles, yet us knowing he was a Christian, right? Like, like, and I, and I, and, and I say that as a kid um, growing up where my mom, we, we would always go to the Christian bookstore and, you know, my mom's not buying Nas and Jay for me. She she was like, go go to the hip hop section there, and uh, you know get you one of them little Vico C tapes or whatever. But like you, you know we would listen to music together. Mm. They would allow tapes. me to listen. This to man that is music. old. He said tapes, tapes, bro, <laughs> tapes. I'm 33. Um, I, I was on the back end of tapes. We were transitioning into CDs. Uh, but but the crazy thing this this is the crazy thing about Vico. 
um, that it teaches something is that many times he allowed us into his process. Mm. And most times, especially when we think about like church planting and pastors, um, we we just look for end product in people. Like, mm. yo, that's what that's what I want. I want to be like that end product. And then we realize like, yo, some of our heroes, mm-hmm. yo, they've been dealing with some crazy stuff. Well, I think Vico as a as a leader, I would say, um, as a theologian in my eyes, he didn't just show us the end product of God's work, but God's actual process as he was going through. Hmm. And, and 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 that taught me a lot about being being honest about my own struggles and also being accountable. Right. Mm-hmm. So like and, and I think that's something that in terms of world my worldview, like it's it's even to this day shocking to me when leaders aren't vulnerable with at least their click <laughs> about you know, with the things that they're dealing with as pastors, as leaders. So mm. I think that that was something that Vico taught me and, and, and shaped um, in mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's good. Um, I want to mention two things that you guys both both shared as you talk about the life of Vico C. Um, you know, you, Ricky, you said it in these words that he did have a life marked by vice, but he was also recognized as a, a political symbol. Um, Jeremy, you phrase it this way, that he was a, a prophet from the barrio. So I'm curious to know, man, like what is it, like what what keeps the church from recognizing guys like Biko C and, you know, like hip hop artists as these uh, influential figures and learning from them? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the difference between Jeremy and I earlier, I think demonstrates the point there, right? Well, I came from a church background in Pentecostalism that, that was rooted in respectability, right? We got to look good in front of the white folk. So hip hop was not a good thing. Mm. But Jeremy's church was right away using it as an outreach. And for the record, so was my church background, right? They would talk all this talk about like, yo, this is not good. This is not godly. And then you, and then I and others were doing hip hop concerts everywhere, but somehow that was exceptional, right? So Mm. it it was, it was a, a strange dissonance that I think has been resolved over the years. Mm-hmm. I think I think the church is at a different place today than it is uh, otherwise. And to be honest, I'm not sure it matters as we, as, uh, as we think about the different church plants that are going out in, in the future, right? Jeremy is going to be doing church in a very different way than some mm-hmm. of the church patterns that we we inherit. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that the fact that the light is an attempt to plant a church for bicultural Latinos, mm-hmm. that alone is is different, right? And that opens to different influences, including the influence of hip hop, right? And so, mm-hmm. I don't think we have to sweat or fear some of those those old habits. We have to be honest about them. To to go back to Vico C, mm-hmm. right? We got to be transparent about the ways that the church had its own vices, right? Its own obsession with respectability and those kinds of things. But yeah, but yeah, I think I think church planters like Jeremy and what's going on in the light are going to open up a, a, a new a new way of doing things that I think is going to be mm-hmm. important. Man. So let me just close out with the, the this final question. Um, what are what are some lessons that we can learn from hip hop, hip hop culture, hip hop hustle? Um, and how can we continue to use hip hop to create those inroads into our communities as church leaders? 
Pastor, yeah, that's think, on you. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think just drawn from my own experience um, growing up, and, and again, my experience was not everybody's experience, but mm-hmm. hip-hop, especially as a, a youth in Palm Beach County, and, and my church was, was used as a platform for, to use our gifts. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I remember, man, when I was in seminary asking this dude, I was like, yo, <clears throat> how many times have you preached or spoken in front of people? And, and it was like a genuine question. He was like, man, once. Mm. Once in his whole life. And I was like, man, that's so different from my experience. My experience was, yo, I was constantly... For better or for worse, <laughs> sometimes with great character, sometimes with horrible character, thrusted <laughs> into the forefront doing um, outreach speaking, uh, preaching That's facts. before crowds. <laughs> That's you know, facts. But 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 my church really leveraged that as a platform, mm. leveraged hip hop as a platform um, to to not only use my gifts but also shape shape. Uh, shape the culture around us. So that's one way. I, I think, man, one thing that that I, I love about hip-hop in general is, is just this entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like, if you watch the, the Vico C biopic, you just mm-hmm. see, man, how, like, he was just working with what he had, you know? And and not only that, but I, I think, like, the, the fact that he wanted to 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 rap in Spanish... Mm. And be really, really dope. That was like innovative back then, and and Vico was doing everything from reggaeton to, you know, boom bap type stuff. So, so I think Merengue, me, he, he got involved Merengue, in all sorts of things. All sorts of things, and, and I think what that his example, and and I think this goes for hip hop in general, is that we don't need to do things in the same way. Of course, mm. we want to keep the integrity of the message, but our methodology. Yeah, needs to switch up, and 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 I, mm. I would say this in a community like mine, um, sometimes sometimes to people it's dope when you're actually doing something that's that's fresh and new, or, or you're doing mm-hmm. an old thing in a new way. Uh, I think I think we can really learn that from hip hop. Mm. Man, this one last question came to mind, and then we'll wrap up. Um, and I can, I'll open this to both of you too. How do we identify and raise up the next Vico C, whether it's in our church or in our community? Mm. Yo, this is a huge topic that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh huh. I think I think we need to be discipling our youth as we empower them. Hmm. Right, and and not just our youth. Anybody really using that gift? Because it's, it's it's older dudes out there and ladies getting it. I, I think we really <laughs> need to be discipling them as we're platforming them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by discipling, I, I think we really need to teach people how to walk with Jesus when nobody's watching. Yeah. Right, um, and then I think we need to continue to 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 call talent out of people. And and pushing them to the forefront because because I'm just, I don't know this this is just my opinion. These are the parts of Jeremy that I think are super Latino. 
<laughs> I just, well, I'll just I'll just say this before you finish yeah, your yeah, thought, go, Jeremy. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll say this. <laughs> I bring that up because I did say earlier that as a church planter, he's gonna make some changes, but some things should stay the same. Right. And he talked about he talked about how his church was using young folk to go out there and 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 do music, good character or bad character for better or worse. He was up there <laughs> preaching gospel. Mm. I think that's one thing that's unique to the diaspora of churches, right? Those migrant churches that are here in the U.S. They are super committed to intergenerational models of ministry. Mm-hmm. The young people will be up on stage. I mean, yep. is, we're recording this on Good Friday, right? Um, I don't know, Jeremy, if your church did Las Siete Palabras on Good Friday, right? <laughs> the, the seven yeah, final course. words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many times I sat through terrible sermons on Good Friday <laughs> of Las Siete Palabras, all done by youth group kids? No, no adults, all youth group kids doing the Siete Palabras. It happened all the time. It happened right. all the time. But there was a commitment, right, to involve to involve the young people in mm. in the Easter weekend services, and that that to me is super powerful um, as yeah. a as an example of ministry. So as Jeremy talks about how we need to disciple while empowering, right? What does that sound like? That sounds like the habit of the Latino church already, right? This is mm. this is a good, healthy aspect of of this expression of church. So just my thoughts. No, no, that that's good. That's good. And I think if we don't do that, I think we're we're missing out. Mm-hmm. And 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 what I was gonna say just to add was it seems to me, at least in my neighborhood, and when I lived in Chicago, that even Christian hip hop is so far removed mm-hmm. from what's actually going on in the streets. Like mm-hmm. Very far removed, and and by far removed, I mean maybe the hip, the the rappers, like and gatekeepers. I'm I'm just gonna assume they're involved in the local communities and that kind of thing. But I'm like, who's actually touching the streets? Mm. Yeah. So I think, I think, man, this is just my my opinion. My opinion is this: I think that Christian hip hop, in some sense needs to get back to its roots also of engaging the streets right where they're at. Mm. And I think the church, especially the urban um, church, needs to continue or to pick up again using Christian hip-hop in their outreaches, in their evangelistic outreaches. Mm. Um, because, man, there, there really is an opportunity out here to do that. And, I, I, man, my, one of my biggest fears is that Christian hip hop is just being used for kids who don't even, <laughs> I'm just be like this, kids that don't, they don't even identify with hip hop. They're just kind of like used for youth groups. Wow. During the game yeah. time, you know, and then. Uh, <laughs> you can say anyways. suburb kids. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll just leave it there. But but what I'm saying is there's opportunity. And, and can I just add one more thing, man? I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this topic. I think, I think many of us, when we were coming up, one of the reasons why at certain points we learn even our craft well is because sometimes we would show up on the block and it's like, just rap. Ain't nobody know you, you know? Mm. You got to learn how to how to work crowd. You got to learn how to win people to you. Like, even from a craft standpoint, mm-hmm. 
I think if we get back to that, it'll make people better as artists, as performers. Hmm. That's just my opinion. But anyways. With the mic drop at the end, man, thank you. Thank you guys for the conversation. Uh, as we wrap up, um, Ricky, can you tell us what we can expect coming up from World Outspoken? This is your time to, to plug whatever you want, man. Yeah, so I'll just say more about the Learning Center. We, we're really growing the course catalog that we have there. Um, we're, as I mentioned before, we're super committed to, to helping churches address the cultural changes they're experiencing. And we're committed to, to preparing leaders like Jeremy, who are mm. standing in between the Spanish language and English language, the generation of old and the generation now, right? The, the different dynamics racially, ethnically, all those things, right? And so go to learn.worldoutspoken.com, get, get, your, uh, get your ministry leveled up, take a class, learn. These are not, um, I'll say this, we are not trying to get you to do some college intensive, right? The benefit mm-hmm. of doing classes like these is that number one, speaking of context, these classes are really specific to the kinds of things that we face. These are not mm-hmm. classes that are going to make sense everywhere. They make sense for us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. For, for our kind of peoples. And I don't mean that Latinos only. I just mean people who have gone through that migrant church experience, right? Mm-hmm. So learn.worldoutspoken.com, take a class, one, because they're super specific in that way, two, because they're affordable, and three, this is the my favorite part about it, you take the class as a kind of self-paced, it's all, you, you, you don't have like a deadline, there's no timetable when you take it, but while you're in the class, you're in there with other leaders. There's opportunities mm-hmm. to talk in forums with other pastors and leaders who are dealing with the same kinds of issues, whether they be Filipino, Puerto Rican, Salvadorian, or Korean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, these are pastors, leaders, nonprofit leaders, ministry leaders who are facing the kinds of questions you're facing in your hood. And there's an opportunity to have conversations as part of the class with them as well. So mm-hmm. check out learn.world.spoken.com. There are three classes up now. There are two more going up in the fall, sometime in August or September. Uh, one on preaching, one that's going to be, Lord willing, on immigration policies and how the church can be involved. So, wow. so stay tuned. There's a lot There's a lot that's going to be going up and on onto the, the platform there. But there are opportunities to do stuff where you don't gotta you don't gotta pay a big tuition bill to get some kind of degree. This is just mm-hmm. a way of training you to deal deal with your stuff. Mm. Man, fresh off the press. Yes, sir. Super exciting, man. Thank you for sharing that with us, Jeremy. When can we expect that EP to drop, bro? When World Outspoken funds it. Yeah. <laughs> Hip-hop world, hustle on full display. World, world Outspoken <laughs> Hip Hop Ministries Inc. Hey, that's man, a there's our label. For a label. That's a long name hey, for that's, a label. That's, 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 Latino, that's Latino church uh, name, uh, church name. Yo, that's it's real. Like, Iglesia Juan 316. <laughs> Cristo. That means be mad long. Iglesia el, manan- el Manantial del Espíritu Santo y Fuego y Fusión. And then Ink, Ink, en Flores. It's not yeah. legit without Ink. You got to become the light West Palm Beach Ink. That's, that's people well, going to take you seriously. Te- technically, technically, on paper, we do have the Ink. <laughs> hey, there you we, go. Do, we do business as without it. <laughs> 
anyway. man that's all the time for our episode thank you ricky for joining us on another one really appreciate you man jeremy appreciate the conversation as always um man take care guys take care man peace on media